0: Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, bound for eighteen long years, be set free? When he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. This is the word of the Lord. When we began this year with Luke's gospel, he told us that he was aware of other accounts that had already been written about the life and ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he is so dependent upon Mark for his outline and he and Matthew together on some other document for many of the teachings so that Luke's gospel, along with Mark and Matthew, is called a synoptic gospel, one that looks like Mark and Matthew. There are still places we have found in Luke's gospel that are not found in any of the other three. Only Luke tells the story of the prodigal son, the waiting father. Only Luke tells us about two on the road to Emmaus, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Only Luke tells us this story today. Let's take a look. He tells us here immediately what he had already told us way back there in chapter 4. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. This morning I had prayed with the group in the library that were going to come on into the sanctuary and pray just before the 8.30 service. As I was leading that group down the hallway, Dr. Tankersley fell in step with me and showed me his phone, a text message that the grandfather of three of the young people in the chapel choir had died during the night. This grandfather lives right here in Tulsa, so they see him often. He was on vacation in Colorado, was involved in a terrible accident there, had been in intensive care for 10 days, and last night had died. I got the prayers started here and hurried downstairs to pray with the chapel choir, and all three of those grandchildren were there, robed and ready to sing. I couldn't believe it. They're really good kids. I've known them since they were born. I've known their daddy ever since uh, we've been in Tulsa almost. He's a good friend of both of our sons. I told the 830 crowd that these three, I didn't tell them which three, in the chapel choir, had lost their grandfather the night before. Someone they love deeply and feel very close to. But they were here, robed and ready to sing. When the service was over, their mother came up to me in the hall, and she said, that was such a kind thing for you to do for Jack and Matt and Heidi. I said, Nicole, I was so impressed that you had them here. And she said, they voted to come. Last night, when we got the terrible news, they voted to come. They promised Dr. Pencero they would be here. They were here, as was their custom to be in the church. Carol Terry lives in Nashville, Tennessee, but she grew up in Mississippi. She's written that when she was a little girl, her mother and daddy made her go to Sunday school and church, but it was an angry church, her words. Every Sunday she said the preacher was angry at somebody or some group, something, and he ranted and railed every Sunday morning. She said, I hated it. I hated it. And when I got big enough that I didn't have to go anymore, I didn't go. And when I found the guy I wanted to marry, he wasn't a churchgoer either. I thought, perfect. Our friends told the two of us that we had nothing in common. And we kept saying opposites attract. We got married and then decided opposites don't live together very well. The marriage was an absolute disaster. We had moved from Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee. We got to where we were living in the same place, but there was no marriage. It was terrible. I finally decided I I couldn't go on with this, so I started saving me some pills until I had a little bottle full. And one Saturday night, I decided I'm going to take this whole bottle of pills and I won't wake up in the morning. I was sitting there on the edge of the bed in my room and suddenly I was aware there was a light shining through onto this bottle of pills. I looked out the window. It was the steeple of the church just behind our house, the Bellevue United Methodist Church. I'd been in it a few times because it was the polling place for our precinct but never on a Sunday morning. But there was something in my deepest heart that said, Carol, why don't you hide your pills? They can wait twenty four hours. Why don't you try that church in the morning? I hid my pills, I went to sleep. The next morning I waited till almost eleven o'clock. I slipped in the back door right near the back. The preacher was so different from the one I'd heard when I was a child. His voice was warm. His eyes engaging, friendly, helpful. The words he spoke were of grace and hope, love, forgiveness, acceptance. I'd never had this feeling in a church before. When he pronounced the benediction, he did it walking up the back aisle. He was blocking the door when I started to leave and stuck out his hand and said, are you new here? I've never met you before. And she said, Well, sort of. And he said, You look like somebody who would love one of our Sunday school classes. I have one that would be just right for you. Would you meet me here just before 10 o'clock next Sunday and I'll introduce you to some folks in that class? I didn't promise, but I left my pills hidden. What could one more week hurt? So just before 10 o'clock, I went to the church. He was there. He walked me down the hall, introduced me to people in the class. One of the women came over and gave me a hug. What's your name? I said, Carol. Well, Carol, we're so glad. One of the men stuck a cup of coffee in my hand. They sat down around a table, and they had a prayer, and then they said, well, our lesson for today, one read. And then they talked about this scripture each reflecting a little bit if he or she wanted to. And everything they said was about hope and love and kindness and grace. I left my pills hidden and I went back the next Sunday and the next and the next. And finally one Sunday, as they had shared, I finally got up the courage to say, I've not been a good person. I've had really dark thoughts, terribly dark. And one of these women got up from her chair and just walked around and hugged me. And she said, Carol, he doesn't care if you want to start over. And I said, I wanted to. It didn't save my marriage, but it saved my life. He was in the synagogue, teaching. Number two, Luke says, our translators leave out this little word. I've told you they got tired of it, thought it was cliched, I guess. But Luke didn't get tired of it. He kept tossing it in. It's this little word, hidu, which is usually translated as behold, or would you believe? What Luke wrote was, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, And behold, a woman. Behold, bent and stooped for eight and ten years. She asked nothing of Jesus. She may not even have known who he was. He walked over to her. When he healed her, there were critics. The ruler of this synagogue said, what do you think you're doing? And then he said to all the people, can't you get your healing done the other six days? And Jesus said, this is a daughter of Abraham. You treat your oxen, your donkeys better than this woman is being treated by you. You tie them to the manger. Remember the manger where Jesus was placed was a stall for feeding. It was a trough. You tie them to the manger so that they eat, but even though it's the Sabbath, you then untie them and lead them over to the water. When our children were little, we taught them to sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And the critics said, he's a tax collector. He's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. And Jesus said, he's a son of Abraham. For a woman, he says, a daughter of Abraham, she's one of God's chosen children. How could you not want her to stand up? Stand up. Dr. Alice McKenzie holds a distinguished chair in homiletics, preaching at our seminary at SMU in Dallas. She's written that this summer she decided to take a course at at Taos, New Mexico on screenwriting. She said, I've done a little creative writing in my time. I wanted to hear what this professor had to say. The professor said, well, the first thing, you have to rid your writing of cliches. There are writers, he said, who put the same line movie after movie, and some other writer here puts it in his or her movie, and told us one of those lines. The line is, you just don't get it, do you? And then she said they proceeded to show us film clip after film clip where that was the line. You just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it, do you? And then she said it was time to go back to SMU and get ready to teach. And I was working in the Gospel of John. And I saw so many times that Jesus could have said, you just don't get it. In the very first chapter, John begins, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Nothing was made that was not made by the Word. The Word was made flesh, came and dwelt among us. He came into his own. His own just didn't get it, did they? Chapter 3, Nicodemus, a rich and powerful man, sought him out one night. Tell me about this kingdom you've been describing. Jesus said, well, you have to be born anothen is the Greek word, anothen. Again, again, I'm a grown man. How am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus could have said, you just don't get it, do you? Next chapter, a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus, thirsty, midday. Madam, may I have a drink of your water? Who do you think you are? I can tell. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't use the same containers. How am I giving you a drink? You have no bucket, no dipper. You just don't get it, do you? You don't get it. Chapter 5, there's a man whose friends have brought him down to the pool of Siloam. He's been brought there day after day after day. There's some silly superstition that the wind comes out of one particular gate only rarely. And so when it does and troubles the surface of the water, first one in gets healed. Then this man's complaining, every time I try to get in, somebody jumps in ahead of me. And Jesus could have said, you just don't get it, do you? It's not about strange wind blowing through the gate that heals people. And then Dr. McKenzie wrote, but he never said it. Jesus never said it because in all those movies that had been shown us, this line came when a relationship had died. You just don't get it, do you? Get it. It's not the way he felt. He felt about you. You're a daughter of Abraham. You're a son of the Almighty. You're a chosen one, as are all others, chosen ones of God, whose names he knows, even the number of hairs on your head. Number three. Immediately, stand up. In fact, it's a passive tense verb. Translators, I don't think, did us any help here. Unless you've taken English, you know, a good long time, you may forget to look for these passive tense verbs, but they're very important in the Bible. Because almost every time you get to a pass, passive voice, I should say, passive voice, it means God is the actor. In this case, Jesus says to her, You have been released, or you have been set free, meaning God has done this for you. And where it says she immediately straightened up, it literally says she was straightened up. That's different. It's passive voice. She was straightened up by the power of God. The same way it makes a difference whether you say Jesus rose or he was raised by the power of God voice Helene Tutt is a registered nurse out in Midland Texas. she has written that one night she was to work the graveyard shift 11 to 7 said so I got to the hospital 15 minutes early I was looking over the list of patients to see if there was anyone new on my wing since the night before. there was a name. I looked at it twice. I had not seen nor heard this name in years. This name was my little girl's second grade teacher. And she terrorized my kid. She said, my little girl was painfully shy. And this teacher probably had a lot to teach. But the more she would press a kid and press a kid and press a kid, there are some that just freeze up, cannot say a word. I cannot think under that kind of pressure. My little two year second grader hated going to school every day for a year. I hadn't seen this name all these years. I thought, now's the time I can deal with her. (laughs) I can deal with her. And I started down the hall, she said, and when I got to her room, I said, wait a second, I took a vow. But I would do no harm. I would help in whatever ways I could. And I put the biggest smile on my face ahead, and I walked in the door. And I'd forgotten how many years it had been. She was a tiny, frail, old woman, almost in a fetal position in the bed. I walked over closer. And though her eyes were closed, she was whispering something. And forgive us our... And she stopped. She said, and forgive us our... And she stopped. And she whispered, and forgive us our... And I said, trespasses. And she said, as we forgive others. I forgave her, because God forgave me. Number four. This wonderful music Dr. Pensera picked out for us today is about this point four. The woman rejoiced, and then all the people in the synagogue rejoiced, gave praise, sang praise because of these wonderful things Jesus was doing. The word in Greek is so from which we get the word doxology. Doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Neil Pryor works on spacecrafts out in California for one of the private concerns that's trying to keep us in space. His father lives in Ohio, and he wrote that His father was a first-generation American, came to this country, determined that he would have a wife and children, and they would have a greater life than he had had. So he said, all these years, my father worked really hard. He got up early. He was a brick mason, and he laid brick all day long, came home exhausted. Uh, He would take a shower, uh, almost get, get dressed for bed almost, eat supper with us, and then he'd you know retire to the his favorite chair and he'd read the paper and then he'd turn on the radio later television i didn't really know my dad very well i knew he worked hard i knew he wanted good things for us but he was of that generation didn't know how to tell you and now he said my mother's gone and my dad was 78 he had survived one bout with cancer still battling diabetes and now he'd fainted and had fallen i flew to ohio he opened his eyes and asked, Is it Thursday? I said, Yeah, Papa. Floyd's going to be really mad. Floyd? Yeah, he's the guy I play chess with at the senior center every Thursday. I'm the only one who can beat Floyd. Last Thursday, I beat him in 10 moves. He was really upset. He said he'd get me today. He's going to be upset if I'm not there. So Neil said, Would you like to play with me? I said, sure. So we played. I said, Bob, how about if I get you a computer and we can play you in Ohio, I in California, we can play chess. I hate computers, he said. Well, we can do it by telephone. You set up a chess board in Ohio and I'll set up a chess board in California and we'll talk on the phone. You tell me your move, I'll tell you mine. So he said, every Saturday, four o'clock, we play chess over the phone but we talk about other things. My papa told about when he was a boy crossing a swollen river with a puppy in his arms and a voice telling him, move left. In his deepest heart, go left, go left, go left. He said, we made it across the river and a couple of days later I crossed that river and found there was a sharp drop-off if I'd gone to the right. So Neil writes, it's been four years. At 82, my papa died went home to Ohio, and as I walked into the church, I said, God, you got him across the river once. Could you do it one more time?